Welcome, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode 16 of Pull Up a Seat with Alex Starr. This podcast has unique people from all walks of life that have perspectives that I hope can bring out whatever it is you're searching for within yourself, in your life, adventure, potential, breaking free of self-imposed limitations, um, and I appreciate all the feedback I got on the last podcast I put up about the self-love with Corey Ruth. And I got to say, uh, to be honest, I was feeling pretty vulnerable about posting that about self-love, blah, 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 it's cheesy. And it got the most responses out of any podcast I have put up, um, which is a fantastic lesson for myself. I mean, yeah, I was pretty nervous about posting it. My heart was racing when I pushed OK on Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> so that is something to keep in mind uh, going forth. If it scares you, it's probably a good thing. Um, a quick little story before I get into who my guest is today, um, but it pertains to the podcast and that is until really recently, I had not been acquainted with death very closely. Um, I had had acquaintances die, you know, um, friends of the family. But about a month ago, I, I'd be visiting my grandparents' place and my grandmother would be preparing food, talking, laughing, uh, worrying about me, of course. And then two weeks later, she was in the hospital for a lung infection. Uh, and the first couple of days, she was in great spirits. Uh, the whole family was there. And at one point, she even tried to set me up with a nurse. Or actually, really, anyone that came in that was under the age of 30, she was asking me if I had seen them, how pretty they were. And then she would subsequently ask the nurse if she was married, which usually made the nurses very uncomfortable, especially one that kind of just stuttered a few times and then said, oh, your blood pressure's dropping. That's good. So that's how the first couple of days went. And then it moved into within a few days after that, um, her trying to rip the oxygen mask off her face to end her life. That was a few days later. And to see the resolve and consciousness slip away, you know, that quick, um, you know, one night I was there watching her um, to give my mom and my grandpa a break. And she would say, Alex, Alex. And I would jump up and I'd say, yeah, w what's up, Yaya? She'd say, I signed the papers. You know, what are you all waiting for? Just just pull the plug already. And she's half coherent, half not. Um, and then a, f a day after that, a few days before this last Christmas, she passed away. And to see the reality of this life's situation, um, to be that up close and personal with death and seeing the fate that is is coming to me, you know, sooner than later, relatively. Um, and it sounds kind of, it sounds weird to say, but... Um, you know, it was the most inspiring thing I've ever seen in a, in a, in a strange way, how liberating the truth is. And so much that I'm now convinced that death is the final blessing our loved ones give to the living. 
you know, the blessing of letting us see and feel the reality of life and to not let another moment go forth without working towards something that is important. And relating to me, anyone who knows me is probably tired of hearing me say that I'm learning Spanish. I want to learn Spanish when they ask me about goals, desires. I've been saying it for years. My grandmother who passed away was Cuban. And I always imagined learning Spanish, talking to her in her first language. You know, she'd always get excited when I'd call her abuelita. Or if I wanted to annoy her, I'd call her vieja, which is old woman. And so she'd always get excited about that. So I thought, okay, for sure, you know, I'm going to learn Spanish and talk to her. Like, you know, yes, indeed, I am definitely going to do that after I do this. You know, and then and then after I do that, and then, you know, maybe after this. Um, and it was all under the false pretense that she would be around forever. I have plenty of time. You know, what's the rush? I can put these, you know, it's important to me, but I can put it off. And that obviously is now not the case. And so what is something that gets to you? What is stuck in the back of your mind? That itch that you can't scratch. Um, I would love to hear from you guys. Find me on Facebook, Instagram. Um, you know, send me an email. I'd love to hear what your guys' is. Mine has always been to become fluent in Spanish. And I have never been more motivated to do that in my life than after this happening. Um, you know, that one thing that can't be appeased by anything except for actions towards that goal. Nothing will quiet, will quiet it really, but you know, I know that, I know if I had waited long enough or if I still continue to wait long enough on certain things, it, it manifests in frustration, anger, disappointment, because I know I'm not working towards it. Um, and my actions reflected a belief that, you know, Spanish was somehow going to magically appear at my doorstep, jump, in, jump into my lungs, and voila, I would be Mr. Fluent. I, but I took no real steps towards following through and completing the dream I have or my goals. Um, and now this perspective is just newly discovered and it's a fire that's lit that I, I hope doesn't go away. So find that, find that dream, the adventure, that goal that gives you a, a sensation of that beautiful sensation of purpose and of accomplishment and works towards it. And then, you know, find another and find another. Um, and my, my guest today, Dave, a good friend of mine, he went down that road against his wishes. He didn't choose it. It chose him. Um, but he used faith in himself and just an unwavering positive outlook that he still has today. He's got to be the most, one of the most positive people I know. And as you'll hear, he says that he basically cured himself. I mean, his mindset was everything, was everything. And that he would choose, he would choose to get cancer all over again if he went back in time because of everything he learned. So I hope you guys get as much from this as I did just by talking to him and being friends with him. Uh, love to hear from you guys. Please send me some more feedback and I will catch you guys on the next one. Welcome to Pull Up a Seat with your host, Alex Starr.
Mr. Dave. Uh, where um, be? Yeah, let's um, let's take it back. Um, well, actually, I had a question for you. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but last time before we had the our last plan to do the podcast, you said that you were dealing with anxiety. You couldn't do it because of anxiety. Yeah. How often, actually, how often does that happen? What do you do to deal with that? It happens a lot, which it kind of sucks. I have medication for it, so I have it's called Ativan. And so anxiety is probably the thing, the, the most like lasting effect that I deal with on like a daily basis is anxiety. From the uh, cancer? It's from, I think, just a lasting effect from some of the chemotherapies you get. And so it's affected my stomach from radiation and chemo and stuff like that. And then my stomach somehow affects my anxiety. That's a lot of research coming out about how the gut is affecting the body that we didn't know about before. Yeah, so it's like when you feel uncomfortable in your stomach, and a lot of people, when they have anxiety, you'll ask them, like, does your stomach hurt? And they're like, yeah, you know, I just feel uncomfortable. Hmm. And so I've found, and this isn't just because I like beer, but if you have like a beer or two, I think it's got a calming effect on your stomach because the carbonation, the alcohol, but I think... Keep telling yourself that. Well, yeah. I mean, not like 18 of them. (laughs) different story but i i felt that helps i actually carry around an ativan in my pocket at all times now and it's kind of what is that ativan oh the the, pill okay yeah so i'll carry it around with me and so it's just knowing that it's there is kind of like just a calming effect and so it's knowing that if my anxiety starts spiraling out of control that I have something that I can just take and it'll go away. You didn't have that before the chemo? No, never. Crazy. So, yeah, it was pretty gnarly. Oh, my dog has joined us. Where is he? Uh, licking himself on the bed. <laughs> um, did uh... So anxiety never before chemotherapy or anything like that. Um Never before the whole ordeal. Um, but now it's just, it's that and I have neuropathy in my feet, which it's nerve damage. And it comes from one of the chemotherapies that's called Bencristine. Mm-hmm. And so it causes neuropathy. And so they say you're, if you have Bencristine, you're going to get it. It's not like you're not going to get neuropathy. You're going to get it either in your feet or your hands. And so I've had it in my feet since completing chemo, um, but now it's been spreading a little bit to my hands to where it's like a tingling feeling, but it's not, it's not just like when you, you know, uh, a limb falls asleep. So it's not that same feeling. It's kind of hard to explain, but it feels like ants are just crawling up your muscles. Damn. Okay. So sleeping has just been an issue ever since. And so, I mean, I take Ambien almost every single night to yeah. sleep. <clears throat> I mean, all in all, you're in, from what I can see, pretty good shape. I mean, Check. <laughs> and especially your attitude. I mean, I don't even remember that that happened when you messaged me and said, Hey, I'm an open book. It'd be cool to, I, I'd be free to talk about it. My first thought was free to talk about what? 
because I yeah. forget that you even had that. A lot they, of people do. Because your attitude is so just, it was not a big deal. You don't ever really talk about it. Um, when you initially got the diagnosis, did you get a prognosis as well? Did they say you're going to be dead within six months? What happened? No. So that was one of those things that I've always, I was the guy who thought, you know, that'll happen to somebody else. I'm never going to get something like this. And so I never worried about it. I never thought I'd be a statistic. I'm like, ah, I'm just never going to be that. And that was for anything. It's like, I'm never going to be hit by a drunk driver. I'm never this. 20 year olds are, I mean, when I'm yeah. in your 20, you're immortal. Oh yeah. No, I'm I had immortal. no fear. Yeah. Like, no, nothing will ever happen. So when it did, it was, I was super busy at the time. I was in school and I was working two jobs. Um, just because I wanted at that time, I was like, I want to be a millionaire by the time I'm 20. And so I was in mortgage because that was booming at the time. And so I looked at it as I was too busy to have cancer. I'm like, I just don't have time for this. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> and so, Come. <laughs> so when it happened, send me an email. Yeah. <laughs> When it happened, it was, I looked at it as it just as a speed bump in my life that I just needed to work through like it was a task, not like it was a, a diagnosis or a prognosis. And so I know a lot of people want to know odds and stuff and percentages when they get diagnosed. Like, all right, so what's, what's my percentage and right. what am I looking at? Right. But I didn't ask. I never asked. And I swear to you, up until... This morning at 2 a.m., because I couldn't sleep, so for some reason I looked up my tumor, which was a PNET. So I looked it up, and the survival rate is like 25%. Wait, you mean to tell me that you never Googled it once? Not Until once. this morning, until, until eight hours ago. this morning, as of nine hours. Wait, what? Yeah. And so... What? Never knew how serious it was. I mean, like a brain tumor, you're like, yeah, it's pretty serious. Yeah, it's a yeah. tumor in your brain. Yeah, not good. Um, <clears throat> but I kind of just looked at it like, oh, it's just a run-of-the-mill thing. Like, people get these now. So <laughs> I'm thinking it's a walk in the park. Like, this doctor comes in and knocks, like, 10, out, like, 10, out, 10 of these out, of, like, in one day. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, no, I'm good. Well, didn't your your parents or anybody look it up? And oh, they all did. They all knew. Actually, they just didn't tell you. So when I first, I started having symptoms when I was nineteen. So on my actual nineteenth birthday, I was out to dinner with my girlfriend. We stopped at a Seven Eleven. I went to get out of the car, and my left knee buckled, and I fell. I was like, "What was that all about?" So then I went in the 7-Eleven and I'm going to grab my Sour Patch Kids because I'm an adult. And I go to grab them with my left hand and it just won't close. And so I'm like, all right, this is a little bit strange. And so it was like I just had a bunch of weakness. So I just grabbed them with my right hand. And so I call my mom and I'm like, hey, just to let you know, like I fell and then uh, you know, I was having problems with weakness on my left side and she's like, all right, we'll get that checked out. Something, but something felt wrong to you. Something didn't 
something fell off. Off, right. And yeah. I've always been really in tune with my body. When I was uh, from ages like 9 to 13, I had seizures. Mm-hmm. And so it turns out that was all from this tumor. Oh, it was brewing it's, in you for that long, huh? It's Yeah, so it was a like a prenatal tumor. It turned oh, out. damn. So like I was born with it, but it only... Thanks, Mom. Yeah, that's what I told her. And she <laughs> said it was her side. She said it was all on my dad's side. So of course. Blames him. <laughs> so I was 19, and at the time I was doing Brazil, Brazilian jiu-jitsu and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I go to this doctor, and I tell her what like my physical activity is like. And she's going, oh, it's just a pinched nerve. Like, it'll go away. And... So it progressively got worse over the next two or three weeks to where I'd be driving in the car. I was driving with Jed and I'm pulling over to the left. Like my car's just drifting over to the left. And he's like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, I don't know, man. I was like, I can't hold the steering wheel straight. And so finally I go in and I'm like, all right, this isn't right. I started limping. I couldn't hold things. I couldn't hold my sandal on my foot. And this is all only on my left side. And so I go in and I have uh, an MRI done and that's when the tumor showed up or when it, you know, and you weren't I, concerned. So at this point you're not concerned. You say, Oh, there's a tumor. That's no. cool. I'm going to go do some pushups and uh, yeah. it'll probably go away. Yeah. So I'm thinking, whatever, I'll get this removed. So my parents and I looked into it and we went up to UCLA and USC and we talked to some different surgeons and just didn't feel comfortable with either one of the guys and ended up going to Keith Black, who is a doctor over at Cedar sinai and he's just like, guy's top of the tops with mm-hmm. when it comes to brain surgery. And so he, he's just like so straightforward about it. He's like, all right, so we're going to put you in traction, open your scalp, then open your skull, and then take the tumor out, and then reattach your skull. And blah, blah, blah. so that made me feel even more like, dude, this is so just, this is nothing for this Right, guy. right. So, so at I, that point, you're, you're, not, you're not concerned at all, really. No. So I get the tumor out. Um, and I'm thinking, all right, everything's fine. I'm in post-op. Surgery took nine hours. Um, You're chilling? They give you some... Honestly, Cedars is like a hotel. Like, it's, were, the, I mean, were the nurses cute? I had a lot of dude nurses. Not yeah, top I got, of the line. Not I got, top of the line. I got shafted there. The Yelp reviews, I hope you gave him three stars. Yeah, I mean, great brain surgery, but wouldn't come back for that. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> eh, maybe a three and a half. Yeah. So, so at that time, I'm thinking, okay, everything's done. Like now, I just need to recover. Well, Jed was there, and some other friends, and my girlfriend at the time, they were there. And the doctor comes over, and this is I, I'm still I'm knocked out, and I'm in the back. Mm-hmm. He comes over to my parents. And he's like, hey, okay, I need to talk to you guys real quick. And Jed follows him because he's like oh yeah i can hear this too you know right i get to hear anything i want <laughs> and so the guy's like all right so i got in there removed the tumor and just like from my experience i looked at it and we're sending you know we're doing a biopsy but i'm pretty sure it's cancer 
And so Jed knew before I did. All my friends knew, like, who were there before I did. Oh, at this point, you just assumed it was a, a benign it, tumor. Yeah. Oh, I just, okay. Because that's what it, it's diagnosed as. Oh, okay. No one had mentioned so cancer to you yet at this point. No. Oh, the tumor, okay. The tumor, they thought it was, it's called medulloblastoma. And that's kind of like an umbrella term that they give for most brain tumors. Uh-huh. Uh, and it turned out to be a rare one called a PN. It's primitive neuroectodermal tumor. So it's, they call it a peanut. That's a lot easier. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's way easier. So I go back to have the staples removed from my head. And so I have the staples removed. And then we go down and we have to talk to this guy. And I'm thinking, dude, this was the easiest thing ever. I can't believe how easy is. Like, staples are out. I feel fine. Um, and this is like two weeks after the surgery. Uh-huh. So I, I had to go home and take it easy and then go back to L.A. and have the stable removed. So we go downstairs. I'm like, oh, this guy's got a hot chocolate maker. Like, this is how relaxed I am. This guy has Are you in slipper? Imagine you in slippers in a robe at this point. Just Dude, I'm in, my, I'm in my lucky hat. I'm like, <laughs> I'm feeling good. So we get into the room and I'm like stirring my hot chocolate <laughs> with my parents. Dumping two packets into one mug. Oh, I'm feeling like a million bucks. Yeah. Like bullet dodge. Let's go. Yeah. I'm invincible. And, it, yeah. Back to that. Yeah. That immortal feeling. Yeah. And. Oh, what is this all about? Sorry. Um, so. The guy starts talking and he's going, all right, everything looks good. We're going to start uh, with the regimen of chemotherapy and radiation in about two weeks. And I'm like, hold, hold it right there, guy. Like, let's stop stirring the hot chocolate and pay attention. And I'm like, chemo and radiation for what? And I'm like, no, man. Like thinking this guy's got it all wrong. Like this guy's looking at the wrong chart. Right. Um, and I was like, can you step out for a sec, man? And he's like, all right. I look at my parents. I'm like, what the hell is this all about? <laughs> like, hold me. And they were like, yeah. Um, turns out, like, pathology came back and it's cancer. And I was like, and this is how I find out? Yeah. Like, While with the hot chocolate, mom. Yeah, from Mr. Hot Chocolate over here. And so, I mean, it, I was stunned at that time and I cried and I was just like, this is kind of gnarly, man. Like, yeah. it's, a, it's a lot to handle at 19. Um, but it was like kind of, you know, right after. It, it was about 10 minutes of where I was just in disbelief. And then it was like, all right, we just got to handle this, I guess. Like. So how yeah. long how long was the process of chemo and radiation? How long did that last? Chemo and radiation was a year. At what point so, did you you had a full head of hair then? Oh right? yeah, you dude, were born bald. I had the luscious, <laughs> thick brown hair. As thick as that beard. I mean, it's a nice beard. I can just picture dude, the top. Yeah, of it. I mean, that's why I have to grow it now. It's like my hair migrated south. Yeah, for, and so it hangs out now. But yeah, I had, so how how quick before it just started? Were you getting the clumps in the shower i mean so, what was- 
14 day rule. So 14 days they give you from your first chemotherapy treatment that they say your hair is going to fall out on the 14th day. Just completely, just like, completely out. That's it. It's gone. Oh yeah. That's their rule. And so I thought I'd be smart and like head it off. And I'm like, all right, I'll just like shave it really close. So I don't have to pull a bunch of hair out. Mm-hmm. Um, but it turned out to be a horrible idea because then a bunch of little stubbles fell out into my pillow and just stabbed me at night. <laughs> I got on the, so on the 14th day, I'm like, oh, my hair's not really falling out. And so I was stoked. I'm like, oh, I'm going to keep my hair. Dodge that one too. I'm immortal. Yeah. Still immortal. Still <laughs> nailing. Um, got in the shower that day. Put shampoo in, wiped through, and hair was just gone. All of it. All of it. On the 14th day. On the 14th day, on the dot. Wow. So they nailed it. Yeah. Like, it's it's a rule. And I've seen since I started working at the hospital, it's seriously 14 days for every single person, except one kid I've ever met. That is so strange. It's gnarly. I don't know. They somehow have it figured out. They have it down to a science. I mean, they're It's probably because they're all in... Co- collusion and on the 13th day they nuke the shit out of you and they go hey 14th day did did we not call it did we not call it (laughs) that you know what you're probably right you've got that conspiracy theory (laughs) um so 14th day hair's gone gone Uh uh-huh what's going through your head at this point i mean are you are you honest are you considering death at this point or are you still immortal I never once thought I was going to die. Never. Never. I didn't let the thought enter my head because I'm like, no, that's what cancer wants. Like I looked at cancer as like a person. Okay. Nice. What do you mean? Cancer was somebody that I just needed to like kill. Like cancer needed to go and like I was was still going to stay around. So cancer, the way I look at cancer never had a chance because I was just too positive. You are so, positive. You are, yeah. I. It's just there's no – being negative and overthinking it is just – it's not going to help you at all. So the you never chemi- had a doubt. It was never like, ah, oh, this, this might get me. It might not. You were just thinking I'm obviously going to get through this. Yeah. It wasn't it was. a question. No, it was never a question. It was I'm going to get through this and am I going to have a positive attitude and try to make the best of this and make it a learning experience? Or am I going to do this woe is me bullshit right. and just sit there and wonder why, why me? But either and way, it, you're getting through it is your mindset. Yeah, either way, yeah. And so I might as well <clears throat> try to be positive the whole time. And the other thing that helped is, since, like I said, I was at Chalk Hospital. So I'm around a bunch of kids. And I'm seeing these kids who are two and three years old running through the halls with their IVs in. And they're getting chemotherapy and they're running through because they have no idea what they're getting. Right. Looking through and I'm like, if I sit here and complain (laughs) 19 when, you know, I've had 19 years and I've had a pretty solid life up until now, like that's pretty weak. These kids have had two and three years and they're running around with IV poles stoked and hanging out with each other. And I I can't be 19 and sitting here and bitching like Yeah. And so that solidified it even more that like, dude, I need to stay positive. There's no reason for me to sit here and whine. Yeah. What'd you do? Did you have to do any active practice to stay positive or, or I mean, you're pretty naturally inclined to positivity anyway. So I was pretty, 
I think it was positivity, but also mixed with the fact that I've always been really competitive. And so it was like, like how I looked at cancer as another person. It was like, all right, I'm in a competition. Like I'm going to win. And so that just helped me stay positive and being surrounded with like my family was super supportive. I had a a church that was incredibly supportive. I had friends like Jed and uh, Holgate and all those guys Mm -hmm. who they all shaved their heads for me, like my brother and like a group of guys shaved their heads and looked hideous and they should never do it again. But the thought that counts, it's the thought that counts. Exactly. Yeah. So I had a a rad group of people around me. And so that, a lot easier. Yeah, totally. Um, but yeah, the positivity thing just, it, it was like kind of the underlying theme of cancer for me. So it's just, it was the don't sweat the small stuff. Just get through it. You're going to throw up. You're going to lose your hair. You're going to lose weight. And you, you just kind of got to accept that in the beginning. Yeah. And there's a lot of things that I look back on and my mom kept like super extensive notes of stuff. And we wanted to even like write a book called it would have been nice to know. And it'd be nice if you had like a social worker in the beginning, like kind of tell it to you straight and just go listen. Like how with the brain surgeon, like tells it to me, I'm pulling your skull off. I'm pulling something out of your brain. I'm putting your skull back. Right. Not sugarcoating things. No, not at all. And so it'd be nice if somebody goes, listen, you're going to throw up every day. You're going to lose your hair. You're going to not even be able to recognize yourself at some point, like physically. Um, You're going to be on a roller coaster of emotions. So you have one of two options. You can either be positive and get through this, or you can just kind of harp on the small things and make this process a hundred times worse. And so I wish somebody would just tell you that in the beginning. Did they sugarcoat it to you first? You know, and especially because I was at a children's hospital, I don't think they're used to dealing with young adults. Right. Yeah. And so they treat you like a child. Exactly. Yeah. And so they, they, you know, I'm sitting in a room getting chemotherapy and there's butterflies and Winnie the Pooh on the wall and stuff. So it's like I'm picturing one of those little uh, like those spinning roundabout things like in the, the in the crib. The yeah. Like above yeah. you in the crib, you're getting oh, yeah. therapy, these little things spinning around you and you're like, ooh, ooh, ooh. oh, yeah. But they replaced that with at the time PS2s and stuff like mm-hmm. that. To find off of it. Um, so the sugarcoating is what they were doing for you and looking back now you're thinking do you think it'd be helpful for 90 percent of adults that they just got it straight up and i think so um i understand why a lot of uh, you know they sugarcoat it and a lot of the times it's because the kid's two or three years old and they're talking to a set of young parents who are scared out of their minds because their newborns got cancer right so i get it that you know they don't want to freak out somebody who the mom's still breastfeeding the child. They're still staying up all night with a kid because they have no idea they're new parents. And then boom, he's got cancer. Yeah. You know, so I, I can get that, but I think especially for young adults, 
like you need to let them know. And at that time too, it's, you're still a bit vain. I mean, you're, I'm a year out of high school. And so losing the hair was a big deal. And everybody busted my balls about it because they're like, you loved your hair. Like you spent more time on your hair than anyone. No shit. Yeah, dude. It's hard because you haven't, you never knew me with hair. No. But it was like, my hair was never not done. (laughs) My hair was always done. And so when I lost that, that was kind of a shot. Was it a loss to your identity? It was. It was like, I had huge sideburns at the time and a bunch of hair. And I think once that hit me, it actually set in that I had cancer that day that my hair fell out completely. And it's not just your hair. It's your eyebrows. It's your eyelashes. It's everything on your body. And for some reason, not my beard, though. The beard remained unscathed. Beard remained. I actually didn't have a beard at the time. The only reason I grew a beard is because I was too sick to shave. (laughs) Okay. it It was the only thing growing in. And so I had no eyebrows, no eyelashes, completely bald, and this gnarly black beard because it grew in black at the time. And so I just looked like a hot mess. <laughs> um, I, I started off at 167 pounds, um, went down to 129. Uh, so I'm just like rail thin. And so you just – you don't even – you look in the mirror, you don't know who like physically you feel like you're looking at a stranger. Yeah. And so I feel God, like that'd be, that'd be so crazy. It's gnarly. It'd be like, yeah, gnarly. I, I can't even begin to imagine. I, it. I look back at some pictures and I'm like, that doesn't even look like me. But then people who I've met after. So like you and different people at college and stuff like that will look at my license because it's still when I was 15 or they'll see old pictures and they go, that doesn't even look like you. Like, we don't know that person, like pre-cancer Dave. And I'm like, I'm still the same person. You know, I'm a smart ass, still the same guy like that, but I look completely different. I, I, yeah. I have a different outlook, that's for sure. Yeah, so let's talk about that. Well, that's the strangest thing to me is we all walk around and we're all develop. Our bodies are changing through cancer or otherwise, getting older. Um, and, but inside it's the same person in here. Yours is extremely dramatic though. Mm-hmm. Yours is, I can imagine you're on the inside. Yo, it's still me, Dave. What's up? Like, yeah. I'm still going to talk shit to you. Yeah. Um, but on the, I mean, you look, you're 180 physical. I mean, it's amazing the permanence of the things on the inside and the complete, just temporary status oh, yeah. of the outside. And yours was so dramatic. That's the, you really realize how just like kind of fragile the human body is, but how incredible it is at the same time. Mm. So I went like one of the, the day of surgery, it had gotten to the point. So the tumor was on the motor strip of my brain on the right side. Mm-hmm. And so how your brain crisscrosses. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's why the left hand. Okay side so it had the the tumor grew so fast over just a short short period that i was paralyzed on my left side going into surgery that day so it's one of the weirdest feelings is looking at your appendages and not being able to use them and so my right side i could pick up my left arm and drop it 
and like a dead arm. Yeah. It was just my whole left side completely dead. And 49 hours later, I'm walking around a hospital. Like right after surgery, I was able to use everything again. Wow. And so it's just, that's, it's gnarly. Like I said, how frail you are, but how incredible the body is that it yeah. can just bounce back from something like that. It, it, it wants to live, right? I mean, your yeah. body's doing everything possible to keep living. Right. And so it's attacking everything. And so that's why I think it freaks out so much is when you introduce chemotherapy, I mean, it's helping, but they can't target the bad cells. So what they do is they kill them all. Right. And so you're sending in just a chemical agent and your body's like, what the fuck, man? Like, why, why are you doing this? And it's like, oh yeah, we're kind of screwed up right now. All right, let's help you along. Mm -hmm. And so then it creates more white blood cells and red blood cells. And so it's just the science behind it is insane. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's gotta be a, they gotta come out with better ways. I mean, are you up on the new treatment? There's gotta be a better way than nuking everything. seen some like homeopathic and different things, treatments and different approaches that people do. Um, I don't know how effective they are really, but I've seen just from over. So this was 10 years ago. I'm 29 now. Mm -hmm. I've seen just in 10 years how much medicine and technology has progressed to where I used to have to sit in in like an MRI tube for two and a half hours to have my MRIs done and I'll be having one on January 2nd, the same exact areas scanned and it takes 25 minutes. Wow. Okay. So they've cut it down completely. The chemicals. So I volunteer at chalk now. So that's where I've been working for the past year. Um, so at the same hospital and I work with some of my doctors and with the nurses. Who oh, that's have- badass. That's cool, man. So there it's rad. And I see some of the kids getting the same chemos. So there are some that are just tried and true that, you know, they're effective. They still attack everything, but they're so effective that they're still around. They've been around for 50 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but there are different ways of going about things now, like the, the chemotherapy that would take me an hour to get 10 years ago. They can push it through in 15 minutes now. Okay. Um, so I have, I do keep up on it just because I'm around it. Yeah. 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 So, but I don't really actively look. Right. Right. Do you credit your, do you think your, your positive outlook, do you credit that with saving you in some regards? I feel like it's the only reason I got through it. Really? I feel like my life would be completely different. Like, I feel like I'd still be here, you know, but I feel like I, that process would have taken so much out of me if I was negative that I feel like I'd be like completely introverted and just kind of have a shitty outlook on the world. Like cynical and like that just, that just sucked. Right. That was terrible. I can't believe that happened. Life is terrible. Everything's terrible. Yeah. But instead I look back at it now and it's just, it was a learning experience. And so it, it helped me grow as a person. It helped me have a better outlook on life. I appreciate the shit out of everything now. Do you? Yeah. It's it, instead of taking things for granted, and I catch myself doing it at times where I'll think that, you know, what I have just isn't good enough. I'm like, no, I need more, more. 
But then I have to stop and kind of kick myself and be like, dude, there was a legitimate chance that I know now, actually. I mean, I knew it was serious, but as of 2 a.m. this morning, I knew how serious. <laughs> but, like, there's a legitimate chance you could have been dead. So stop being such a prick and appreciate what you have around you. Yeah. Like, so there's times where I have to check myself for sure. I don't, like, f- float on cloud nine at all times. Right. Of course not. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's. I mean, that's um, that's unbelievable. So, I mean, you completely. It's a. It was a blessing in disguise. That's how I look at it. Completely. I, like, if I had the chance to change it, I would. Really. I wonder what my life would be like if I didn't have cancer. I do wonder because I, you know, I think a lot of people wonder if they made a different decision in life where they'd be at if it would change. And I do wonder, but I wouldn't change it. Like I, I learned a lot about myself, about the world, about people in general, you find out who your true friends are. And people say that about a lot of different things like, Oh, you really find out who your true friends are. But I I mean, it sounds cliche, but you really do. Like there's people who disappear. And then you've got people like Jed who unfortunately won't fucking disappear. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to have him on in a few weeks. I think talk about deep sea diving. Oh, Um, good. Yeah. So everyone can, can meet him then. Good. I'll make, yeah, I'll make sure everybody knows how great of a person he is before, yeah. <laughs> before he destroys that on the podcast. Yeah. So if you were to go back and if I told you right now, here's a time machine, Dave, we're going to take you back to 19. You won't know that you've traveled back in time, but as of right now, you can click this button. You will not get cancer or click this button and you will go through the whole thing again. You would click, give it to me and go back. And, and I know what I know now. I would say give it to me. I've met some gnarly people. It's changed my whole path in life. Um, I mean, I was just, I grinded out. That's all I did was go to school, party, and work. Mm-hmm. And it just, it, I, I wasn't very, like, satisfied. Like, I was having a great time, but I didn't feel, like, fulfilled. Um, and now... You know, I went back to school, got my degree, have got to meet some amazing people. I wouldn't know you. Um, got to meet some rad people at college. Uh, and, and so I've got a great girlfriend, and I think about that, and I go, you know, I'm I'm happy. You know, I, I'm, I'm happy with what I have. Yeah. Happy with where I'm at. And there's a chance that if I didn't get cancer, I would have never met anybody. I never would have, you know, had the experience that I've had and I wouldn't have the same outlook as I do on life. And so I wouldn't change it. <laughs> I, can't, I can't I can't gamble on the fact that my life would be better and I'm happy. So no, nah, I wouldn't change it. Yeah, that's that's cool to hear. It's amazing how much it takes sometimes cuz most people don't get cancer. And most people don't get the full experience of realizing how easy death is just around the corner. Yeah. Which is depressing in some ways, yet extremely liberating in other ways, like you've experienced. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you're, 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 would you, it's not, you're liberated. Yeah. You know, from the chains that bound you before. 
And now you see life for what it really is, but only because you went through it. That's, that's the thing. It's like, it's weird. It's almost a double-edged sword because like I said, at 19, no fear, you know, dude, just dumb shit expecting no consequences. I'm like, Oh yeah, my body will bounce back. No problem. Of course. So now, like I say, it's a double-edged sword to where now I'm a little more cautious and that's just, you know, anytime you get older, it's your body's not the same. So I'll be a little more cautious. Like I'm not going to go backflip off of stuff anymore Mm -hmm. just cause. Um, but then at the same time, I don't have the fear. Like I go, you know, that whole, you could be dead thing. So why not go experience something? So go to Costa Rica for a month or, you know, just go out and do something that you wouldn't normally do because you'd be scared of it. So I still have, I'm still apprehensive sometimes, but I kind of can kick myself into gear where I'm like, well, why don't you just go out? You could be dead. So you could, (laughs) it's this like, why not go out and do it? Just, just cause you can, cause you're still around. You're the, the fear that debilitates most people has more than less vanished from you. Right. And so I don't do some of the things that I used to, but that's because that comes just with age. And I look back and I'm like, dude, you need to really relax on some of that shit. Like that was pretty stupid. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not, you know, breaking into swimming pools to jump off the high dive and driving overly fast to impress somebody. But at the same time, like I think at 19, I probably wouldn't have packed up on a three day notice and gone to Costa Rica for 30 days. Yeah. And so or jumped out of an airplane just because why not? Perfectly good airplane. When did you do that? Um, February. So actually out of Camarillo. Really? Yeah. My friend Aaron, she had like, she had bought two tickets, her and her boyfriend at the time. She ended up splitting up with the guy and still had the ticket. And so I got to reap the benefits of how, how high did you guys go? I think it was 12,000 feet. 12, yeah. Okay. So it was out of like, you know, way Camarillo airport. Yeah. 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 And it was a little, like little tiny single propeller kind of thing. Oh, it was four people, five people, including the pilot could fit in the thing. Yeah. So it was me, her and the two guys who worked there and amazing. So you think if you wouldn't have, if, if you don't have the insight you have now from getting cancer, you think you would be there? Uh, you think you would have done skydiving things like? I mean, it's hard to tell that kind of stuff now, but that yeah, that that's kind of a toss up. But the way I looked at it was just like, yeah, why the hell not? Like she, <laughs> she called me, and it was I think the next day or two days later. I was like, yeah, why not? Sure. So I don't know, man. Cancer's a weird fucking thing. <laughs> yeah, and it's but, you. Uh, it's come full circle with you working at the hospital again. Yeah. Um, um, so is that where you find a lot of the kind of current fulfillment is from just doing things like that, that just, you just must have a, a, a more in touch with reality as opposed to in touch with society, I guess, if that makes any sense. 
Do you know what I mean? Or just in touch with kind of like the the illusion of reality? Of yeah, like- I, I get to see like working at the hospital could be depressing, I guess, for some people. Like I, I know one of my buddies who he had bone marrow cancer. He won't even step foot back in the hospital. Yeah, he he's, o- he's over it. <laughs> That's, it just stirs up bad memories. Well. Yeah. Um, so for me, it's just different. I go in, I get to see my doctors, some of my nurses, and I occasionally get to work with patients. And so they, since they're younger, it's not always a lot of patient interaction. But I let them know, just like I let you know, if the, anybody has any questions, you can give them my cell phone number. And if a kid, you know, a 16-year-old kid walks in here and wants to talk and wants to know what he's in for, like, yeah, have him give me a call. Have you done that? Yeah, I actually got to work with a kid and a family who are now, like, really good family friends. Um, he's nine years old. His name's Dominic, and he had Hodgkin's lymphoma. And... I met them through a mutual friend uh, named Joe. And Joe was like, hey, I know you work over at Chalk. This kid Dom and his dad Jimmy are over there. Um, you know, if you could say what's up if you see him. And so I sat with Dom. Kid's cool as hell. I, If anybody was more positive than me during the cancer process, it was Dominic. And he was nine. Yeah, nine with Hodgkin's lymphoma and this kid, when I said the 14 day rule, there was only one person who kept it longer. He kept it for 15. And I was like, damn, I was like, so like I said, the competitive side comes out. I was like, they knocked it out of the park. (laughs) So I still hang out with them. I hang out with the family. Um, We go out to my little pub or whatever and take them over there. And he's like a little celebrity over at so many different places. Is he, did you, when, I mean, when you went and met up with him, what was you, what was your, um, did they want you, someone just to talk to him about what's going to happen or what was your, it was more of, he, I think he wanted somebody. And even though I had never met him before, I think he felt just comfortable with me. And so I walked in, just introduced myself his dad, Jimmy, really good guy. Um, I basically told them if there's anything you want to know, nothing's off limits. You can ask me the most personal question possible if you want to. And so Dom just had a few questions or whatever, kind of the same stuff about losing your hair. He had a portacath in his chest, just like I did. So I think once he realized that I had gone through it, he felt way more comfortable asking me questions. And so he'd want to see pictures of what I looked like before. He'd want to know how much I threw up things like that. Just like random questions. But Mm -hmm. at the age of nine being diagnosed with cancer, he needed to know these things. Yeah. And so it was rad because one of my favorite nurses there, she's my favorite nurse during my treatments. She still works there. And I was able to introduce them to. And from then on, he would only ask for her. He's like, I want, and I'll just say Jane Doe. Like I want Jane as my nurse today. Yeah. Because he's like, okay, you know, it was good enough for Dave. It's good enough for me type deal. Okay. And so it was just really, it was rat. Like that was probably, that's my best experience so far since 
since being done with chemo and uh, the whole ordeal, you know, being 10 years out has definitely been my best experience is, is Dominic and his family, like meeting them and being able to help them in whatever way I have. And just, if I can, it's, it's like the cliche shit, but if, if I can help one person, I'm pumped. Right. And from what they've told me I have, and it just, it, it makes me feel like I've accomplished something. Right. The more cliche, the better. I mean, yeah. fuck it. <laughs> I mean, there's a reason it's cliche. Yeah. Like the whole, you don't know what you have till it's gone type shit. Right. But it's true. Then when you experience it, oh, that's yeah. it. That's yeah. The one. It, really, it fits into the category, man. Yeah. And so it's been, it's been a gnarly 10 years. Like September 8th was my 10 year, I call it my craniotomy anniversary. So it was 10 years since my head had been popped open to the world. So I emailed the the surgeon and stuff, let him know where I was at, how I was doing and stuff. And like giving him the pat on the back, like good job, bud. Um, but now it's just like moving, like I'm moving to Utah in a few weeks, starting yeah. a new career. Um, so it's just kind of moving on with things. Totally. Totally. What, what would you, for the last question here for everyone's got their own personal battles, whether it's with cancer or with whatever they're dealing with in life, but you went through a very tangible kind of greeting with death with that other side, you know, I mean, a very real occurrence took place um where it could have gone either way which for i think a lot of people hasn't taken place and now you have this different outlook like you've talked about what advice would you give to someone like me or people that are listening that haven't encountered death so um so like raw as you had um what advice would you going forth someone that's seen kind of the other side, if you know what I mean? Yeah. I really think that not taking anything for granted comes to mind and you just have to face everything in life. Everybody's going to have, like I said, I call it my speed bump. It was my speed bump in life and everyone's going to have one. Shit's going to happen to you. It's just the reality of life. Things happen. And so you can either go into it with that positive mindset and go in with that attack mode that like put whatever trial or tribulation that you have going on, put it into some perspective that helps you. So I looked at cancer as a person. I'm competitive. So I wanted to beat that person. If whatever works for you, whatever gets you into that positive state of mind do that. And so even if it's something as weird as, you know, like I, or not, this isn't even weird, but say like you write out your problems, you have a diary, a journal or something like that, or you like to do lists, turn whatever problem you have into that to do list and make small steps, make small goals. So it wasn't, I looked at it in a long term. I go, listen, I'm going to beat cancer. But today my goal is to not, you know, worry, not throw up as many times, not do and just whatever stupid small goals. 
but it helps you just climb the ladder and reach your final goal. And so it's just do whatever works for you to remain positive. Positivity is the only way you're going to get through things. Like I said, shit's going to happen and either you let it beat you and you lose or you get through it with that positive mindset and you come out on the other side and you go, all right, that wasn't so bad. And now, you know, if something else happens, I feel ready to tackle it. So, I mean, I had, like you said, I had a very, you know, kind of gnarly experience to where it's going to be a little bit different from people, but I now don't see any task in my life that's ever going to be harder than brain cancer. So I'm not worried about it. It's like there's times where I'll catch myself kind of just worrying about something or just getting really down about something like a task that I have coming up and then go, really, man, like you're worried about this. Like you already, you, you had brain cancer. You did that. So like, why are you worrying about, you know, trying to find a house right now, a job or anything like that? It's, you got to give yourself some credit. Not like yeah. everyone, even if you haven't been through something huge in your life, you've been through some shit. If you've completed college, if you've completed high school, all of that stuff, you looked at a book report at one point and thought it was going to be the hardest thing that you've ever done in your life. So, depends on the book. Yeah, and you killed that book report. You you freaking got an A on it, and you're super stoked. You're just going to go. You're going to have things come up, and you just need to remain positive, and you'll get through. And focus on the things that you're doing correct instead of all the things that are going right. wrong. It's a lot easier to look at the things that you're doing wrong. Um, it's a lot easier. But when you start just giving yourself, like I said, give yourself some credit. Like the fact that you've gotten this far in life, you've done something right. I mean, and if, if you're not happy with where you're at, take a risk and make a change. Like I'm, moving to Utah and starting a new career that I've never done before. And so I'm putting like all my eggs in one basket at this point. And so like beautiful feeling. Yeah. It's amazing. Like you would know fucking packed up peace Corps, flying all over the place, jumping into fires and shit. (laughs) So it's just take a risk. I mean, especially, you know, you're younger, you've got options. You've got time. Yeah, until you have kids. Then you're yeah. then you're screwed. <laughs> you're just an idiot. <laughs> yeah. Well, beautiful, man. I man, I appreciate you coming on and, and talking so openly about it. Absolutely. Um, those last three minutes you just said, I might just put that on loop. We might just skip the first hour, <laughs> the first forty minutes, and just put that on loop. That that's fine, dude. I, I drone on for a while, so I'm sure my voice puts a couple people to sleep anyways. Hell no, man. It's it's great stuff. It's great stuff, man. Thanks for coming on, Dave. Um, And uh, yeah, it's great talking to you. Yeah, man. And uh, we'll talk soon and talk about Utah soon. All right, brother. I'll see you soon. All right, Dave. Take care. Later. Later.